subject line come through from Focus on the Family that says, can't wait to fight again. It's like, hmm, from Focus on the Family, they can't wait to fight again? So I was like, well, I'll open this one and read it. And it's by a fellow by the name of, of Bruce Joff, I guess. Well, he's got an interesting last name, but anyways. It says, the first part of it says, my wife Maria and I fight a lot, but I want us to fight a lot more. I'd share an example, but they're ridiculous and nonsensical. I'm sure you'd side with me, and that's just not fair to her, right? So why do any of us fight? According to the Bible, it has to do with not getting what we want. My boss overheard a toddler screaming, I want what I want. As adults, we just make it sound more sophisticated. Sometimes. When I fight with my... When I fight for my wants and my wife fights for hers, it doesn't work. We're two toddlers fighting over a stuffed animal. Even when we get what we want, we're left with half a bear stuffing falling out. So at the end of the year, I know some of us, you know, you start thinking about the, the past year. You think about New Year's resolutions and, and things along that line. And that kind of got me to thinking about some of Pastor's messages earlier in the year. Um, he started out in January talking about fighting for joy. And in February, he was talking about tearing down walls. Um, you know, the walls that we had built, walls of protection, walls of defense, walls of stubbornness, lack of understanding, conclusions that we've drawn because people have said things, um, walls that come between us and other members of the body, other members of our family, things like that. So this message kind of comes out of reflecting on the messages that Pastor preached at the beginning of the year and this devotional that kind of struck me a little odd in its title. The Israelites in the Bible built walls around cities. Um, In Nehemiah 4, it tells us about the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem. Um, Before we read chapter 4 of Nehemiah, just a little bit of background. Um, Nehemiah and the, and the majority of the Israelites were taken into captivity, and the king that he was serving under noticed that he was downcast, which was not normal for Nehemiah. And the king asked him, why are you downcast? So Nehemiah tells him about the state of Jerusalem, that the walls are crumbled, the gates are burned out. And the king takes pity on him and gives him permission and authority and the ability to gain the provisions to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Now, I'm not so much concerned about why they rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem when we look at this, but the how they rebuilt it. So as we start in Nehemiah 4, now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish it up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now, 
those of you that know anything about animals, foxes are usually a very slight animal. So he's saying, oh, this is going to be a pathetic wall. But we see here that right from the very start, when you're attempting to do things the way God would have us to do them, we're often going to be mocked and jeered by the world. Um, you know, it's... So as we continue, Nehemiah prays in verse 4, Hear our God, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Now, Nehemiah prayed a prayer that I think a lot of us would like to pray at times. We want bad things to happen to those people that give us a hard time. But uh, um, Jesus told us and taught us in Matthew 5 that we are to pray for our enemies. We're to pray blessings on them. We're not to condemn them. We are to love our enemies so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So unlike Nehemiah, we're not allowed to pray those condemning prayers. Um, so in verse 6, So we build the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were be beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. We see here that the rebuilding of the wall was able to move forward because the people had a mind to work. It wasn't just Nehemiah that was doing the work. It was all of them. The people united. It seems as though the anger towards the Israelites is not going to lessen. The enemies are gathering and growing in number and strength. As we strive to live our lives in ways that bring honor to God, it should not be a surprise when we are questioned or ridiculed more by those that live by the world's standards. This is all the more reason for us to be united in fellowship with believers so that we can be encouraged by other believers when the world is harassing us so that we can act as a guard on our brother or sister's back when the world is giving them a hard time. Verse 10, In Judah it was said, The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And doing what is right isn't always easy. That's why we need to be in fellowship. That rubble can be heavy. That can be a real mess to clean up. Because we've all made a mess of our lives in different ways. And there's always going to be somebody that's going to be a naysayer in the crowd. Even amongst fellow believers. But we need to stick with one another. We need to encourage one another. We need to, to unite together as believers. Verse 11, And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions 
and said to us ten times, you, re- you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. The enemy they had, they knew. They saw them. It was Sanballat and Tobiah and the Amorites. Our enemy isn't visible, but we have one. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. While our adversary isn't visible... We also don't use swords and spears and bows against him. Although that would be nice sometimes, it would feel good to hit something when life's against us. Our weapons of war are spiritual disciplines. Prayer, reading the scripture, worshiping together, worshiping on our own, um, fasting, uniting with brothers and sisters to name a few. Verse 14, And I looked in a rose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. We need to remember the Lord who is great and awesome. We need to remember that we fight under His banner, that we fight under His authority. When we are coming alongside of our brothers and sisters, it's not just us. We are joining with them. And the word tells us where two or three are gathered, he is there as well. And when we are praying and fasting for our brothers and sisters in the faith, we are not alone in that. We are side by side with Christ in that where two or three are gathered. So this might seem simplistic, but who are our brothers and sisters? I mean, I've been talking about that all along. But in Matthew 12, Jesus makes a point to make that very clear. When his mother and his brothers come after him, and one of the the people in his meeting tell him that your mother and your brothers are outside. And he says, my mother and my brothers are here. My mother and my brothers are those that do the will of the Father in heaven. My My brother and sister and mother. And he points to all the people that are there that are following him. In verse 15, the the work resumes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. We see here that God frustrated the plans of the enemies when they came together. When they prayed and sought God, he frustrated their plans. And he will do that for us. They all returned to what it is that they're supposed to be doing. But they all carried their physical weapons, where we should always carry our spiritual weapons of prayer and fasting and worship and reading of the scripture and so on. This next verse kind of gets me a little bit. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, 
The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. They were building a wall around a city, which is a large thing to do. I mean, think about trying to build a wall around oil city. It would be spread out. And in kind of a similar way, we as a body are spread out. OCCA is not a neighborhood church. There's as much as 30 miles between where members of our body live. If you look at where the Nestas live at in Knox, out to Dempsey Town where the Rembolds and the Smiths live at, there's almost 30 miles difference between where they live. Praise God, we've got technology. We've got phones and cell phones and everything else. And we should be willing to rally to each other's sides in those times of need. Now, I know we do that physically through the Brothers Burden Outreach and things of that nature. But we also need to get to that point where we are willing and able when that need is emotional or spiritual or something happening in your family where we are willing to reach out and we also need to be willing to get messy with each other and to rally to those people when they're in that time of need. There's a few passages that speak to being united with one another in the body. Romans 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So we need to put each other's needs first, and sometimes that's really challenging to set aside what we think we need to do or what we think we need to allow somebody else to receive when they're really needing it. Psalm 133 tells us of what it is like when we dwell in unity. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So unity to serve one another. Unity to lift up each other in prayer, in physical needs, to come alongside of them. Uh, so to finish off that devotional with the crazy title from Focus on the Family, Instead, when I fight for her and she fights for me, something amazing happens. Peace. Wonderful, intact, plushy peace. That doesn't mean we'll never have conflict. It doesn't mean I'm a doormat. But it does mean that in the middle of conflict, 
I fight the urge to focus only on what I want. I love her. I want what's best for her. She's not my enemy. Looking out for the interest of others is a game changer. So how about instead of fighting against each other, we fight for each other? What if in the middle of conflict, we prioritize each other's wants above our own? Rather than the tug of war over what we want, I can use our argument to remember that in Christ, I'm moved as much as it is possible to be loved. I don't have to throw a temper tantrum in my heart or otherwise to make sure my wife proves her love on my terms. I'm released from self-interest, freed to love her. God has shown that love involves giving of oneself for the good of another. So I want to fight to make sure my wife knows she's loved. And I want to trust he'll do the same in her for me. And that's the very thing that Christ did when he came at Christmas. When he was born in a stable, put in a manger full of hay, he put us first. He sacrificed all the glory, all the honor that he deserved in heaven and came down for us. You know, while that scenario was talking about a marriage scenario, there's other times and places where we need to put each other first. Um, some of, you know, if you would catch just a five or ten second snippet of some of our elders meetings, you would wonder, oh my. Because all of us are passionate about leading our body. And sometimes we all come at it from very different directions. But the one thing we all have in common is we want to do what God wants us to do. And our desire is to lead everybody into what God has us to do. Sometimes that might look a little testy. We always double check with each other. We always make sure we okay. And if we're not, then we take care of it. Not that I don't know that we've ever not been okay because we try to keep it not personal and we try to keep it on the topic. But the point is to be united for the moving forward of, of God's kingdom. And it's a, it's a big job that can't be done by, can't be done as well by a bunch of individuals. But if we unite with one another, if we unite with one another, on the personal things, when families are having struggles, maybe it's a, a death near the holidays like the Burrises had. Maybe it's a, a child gone wayward. Maybe it's being hospitalized or physical problems. We need to rally to each other. Um, and with that said, I would like for us to take a few moments because I'm sure there are needs. So if you would be so bold, if you have something that you would like prayer about, if you would just stand where you are, and for those that aren't standing, to just look around and gather around anybody that has stood for prayer. We'll take a few minutes and we'll pray for anybody that is desiring prayer at this time.